Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, go to soundcloud.com slash media people podcast or subscribe on iTunes by searching Media People Podcast. Views expressed by participants are personal. When the word startup is tossed around the advertising world, it's usually associated with analytics, viewability, or programmatic tech companies. But one new venture is looking to change that. Stuart Stevenson is the president and founder of The Social Producers, a Toronto-based startup focused on simplifying the social video production process for both brands and consumers. A veteran of the digital media industry, Stuart kicked off his career at internet, domain, and directory company N49.com. From there, he made the jump to the agency world, holding senior-level positions at companies like Cassette, Mediacom, Click Health, and OMD. Stuart chats with us about his time in the industry, where he got the idea for the social producers, and why he chose to go out on his own. Stuart, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Stuart, you're the president of the social producers. What is the social producers and what does your role there entail? So uh, the Social Producers is Toronto's newest startup. We focus on building social video and doing social management for brands and consumers. Uh, my role really is to drive business and to, and to develop the brand. Before we go any further, I do want to go back to the beginning and learn a little bit more about you. I don't hear an accent, but based on my research, you're not from Canada. You weren't born here. Where are you from? Uh, yeah, no, no. Uh, so I was actually born in Glasgow, Scotland. My, uh, my family, my entire family, my parents and, uh, and my brother and I. Uh, we moved here when we were small kids. We basically moved to, to Calgary. My dad worked uh, in the oil rigs up in the Arctic. Uh, we worked in, lived in Calgary for a few months and then moved to Scarborough right around junior, senior kindergarten. And I have lived in the GTA basically ever since. Do you remember your time in Glasgow much or no? That bit of a blur. I, I, the initial memories I don't have too much of. I have memories afterwards. I do remember Calgary. I have, I have, you know, bits and pieces from that. But, uh, you know, I, I, what I have from Scotland, I don't know if it's real or made up because I was raised in a, <laughs> I was raised in a Scottish environment. You know, my parents' friends were Scottish, so you know, I, I can't tell which is which is you know, photographs and which is in my brain. It's interesting. You mentioned your father was working in the oil fields in Calgary, but he was up in the Arctic. Does that mean he was away from home quite a bit? Because Calgary isn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's sort of close to the Arctic Circle, but it's definitely not a quick drive away yeah yeah so so my father is uh what's called an industrial electrician and he uh so for the first 10 years of my life for four months out of every year uh, he worked in oil rigs in the arctic up in the beaufort sea taking uh chinook helicopters out of tuk toyuk tuk and uh, yeah so th that's basically what happened is he came here and then uh you know for eight months out of the year he was around four months out of the year he was up in the arctic and uh we hit around 10 years old and then he started his company here and you know hasn't hasn't had to do that travel anymore and that's what brought you guys then to toronto so or, we, we or to Scarborough, I should say. So we moved, yeah. So we moved to Scarborough pretty quickly. We were only in Calgary for about six months. They they came here uh, right when the the oil recession hit in the early eighties, I think 80, 80, 83 or something like that. Is this back like when there was that oil crisis yeah. and everyone was filling up, and we saw the shift from V six and V eight engines to four cylinder engines at the tail end of that? I mean, that was in the the later seventies, but there was a, there was an economic crisis in Calgary. Same 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 type of thing. The oil patch you know collapsed. Uh, so we went to Calgary uh, to get work. And then after six months, moved from Calgary back to, to Toronto. And then we've been in Scarborough, well, uh, basically ever since, for about 20 years. And then they moved out to even further out to the 905 now. What was life like growing up in Scarborough? So Scarborough was great. Uh, it, 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 but it does have its ups and downs. Uh, I, I would say that Scarborough gives you a, 
a pretty good worldview, like a worldview that's built from the ground up. And the idea being is that where we lived in Scarborough was a working class, working class neighborhood filled with new Canadians from around the Commonwealth, uh, you know, from Jamaica, from Sri Lanka, from Hong Kong, from uh, the British Isles, uh, and from the Caribbean and uh, India and, uh, and Pakistan. Uh, and it was good. It was good. It was, uh, it was close enough to Toronto. That I feel like I'm from Toronto. You know, I took I took when I was in high school. I took the TTC to school. I've been taking the bus since I was you know 11 years old, like coming into the city. But I also where I grew up, I grew up on, on the border of the Rouge. So I had that combination of living in the city, but then also having the field there. Uh, and where I grew up in Scarborough was Malvern, right? And Malvern has mm-hmm. uh, has its reputation that's fairly and unfairly deserved. But it was a, it was a good place growing up, and it's uh, it's the div- the diversity of that neighborhood. I feel has has been a huge benefit to me as as a marketer. Doing a bit more research, you mentioned that hockey wasn't a big part of uh, your life growing up. Same with me. Hockey wasn't a big part of my diet growing up as well. So what were your interests, your hobbies? We, we didn't have the kind of typical old stock Canadiana experience. My father, uh, you know, we, I played hockey for a few years, but it became too expensive when you got into like MTHL and stuff like that. I used to sit next to a hockey mom in one of my old jobs and she started rhyming off what it cost to put one kid through yeah. hockey. That was more than university tuition. I don't yeah. know how they do it. Yeah, yeah, it was it's it was nuts. And, and you know, to my dad, it was uh, my mom and dad at the time. It was uh, you know, my parents were, were they're British. They like soccer, so we played we played soccer. And the, the idea do they call it soccer? Do they call, they call it football? football. <laughs> they call football. And just 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 for clarity here, with football season starting. Uh, yeah, so so that's what we you know. My my house was football mad, and uh, so that's what we grew up in. Now I uh, you know I played sports. I was active in sports. Wasn't a huge sports guy. Uh, my my hobbies growing up were, were the, the typical of anybody who grew up in the eighties. It was you know eighties pop culture movies. Um, uh, comic books, skateboarding. I was heavy into into drawing, and uh, and then computers and things like that. And computers were really taken off back then, weren't they? You guys, you mentioned that you had what was it, the IBM two? The setup? IBM, the IBM PS PS two. Yeah, yeah. Back b- before they even had Windows, it was called Microsoft Works. It was the uh, the five and a quarter inch floppy drive and the three and a half inch drive, yeah. And it was uh, it was one of these things. I had I had an affinity for that for that type of uh, that type of equipment. So I was the one you know when I was in, in grade seven, you know, setting up the IBM PS2, setting up the. Well, I mean, I say I had a fourteen point four dial-in modem, but actually we had the seventy two hundred before we got to that. Uh, yeah. Did you have a dedicated phone line for it as well, or was it, the family jonesing for that phone line? Eventually, eventually we got one, but it was a uh, it, it took some time. Yeah, and so that, I was I was into that kind of stuff, and uh, and uh, you know, at my school we you know we had to fundraise for a year and a half. We got our first laser printer, you know, and I have distinct memories of life before uh, before online and life after online. I remember too at school when all of a sudden we got rid of the old computers that had trackballs and yeah. we shifted over to these little black and white I think it was the IMAX or whatever they were yeah. from that nineteen eighty four commercial the one that's really popular. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? The little Emacs there. Yeah. How did you score yourself a pager at the age of fourteen? First off, for some people listening, what's a pager? A pager, yeah. So uh a pager is a it just it's the mobile device before there were cell phones and uh, yeah I didn't need a pager but I, I was I I had been working since I was twelve I had paper routes or I had you know little things for odds and ends for kind of you know joke jobs here and there um, but at the mall where I lived they had a Cantel and I talked the guy into getting me a pager you know it was this was this was you know a long time ago before the kind of regulations were too were too strict and I had a pager there was no reason for me to have one. But I had one because I wanted. Like, I was into you know the leading edge, edge of technology at the time, and it was something I needed to have. Yeah. And it was a, uh, <laughs> it was expensive. It was expensive. A little blue pager, you know, it, it carried me fifteen letters of text. Did you have any influences or anyone that you looked up to growing up? 
I would say yes. So, so typical of my era, you know, the influences were, you know, obviously your parents, uh, you know, Optimus Prime, things like that. Oh God, we're um, going re- way back with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, it was that kind of thing. But I, uh, I, like I said, I wasn't a big hockey guy, so for me, it wasn't, you know, you know Wendell Clark possibly, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't a big sports guy. Uh, my big influences really come from my culture. Right, I, I was raised on the BBC. You know, I was raised on, uh, on, on the, the British News Service. So for 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 something that uh, has influenced my life moving forward uh, i would definitely say the idea of you know a centralized broadcasting and communications uh, corporation yeah. your first job ever was working at a jig boring machine shop yeah but you found yeah. yourself in that job in a way that most young people wouldn't find themselves yeah. in a job so what put you into the working world yeah yeah so i uh it was i was 15 it was a few days before my 16th birthday and my dad had brought uh, had bought a new minivan and uh, he'd gone out. He'd gone out to uh, to the club. That's what they call the club. It's like a like a football supporters club. You know, immigrant families typically, immigrant communities typically have have these type of things, like the Portuguese club or something like that. So yep. my parents uh, they used to frequent uh, the you know a football club. And um, we're talking about the places that are usually open at eight in the morning, so you can watch the matches in Europe. Yeah, There's precisely five six hours. Precisely behind. that. Yep. It's, it's like you know subsidized discounted beer. It's in an industrial unit somewhere where everybody kind of chips in to pay the rent. That that type of thing. They you have dances and bingo. And because and they can't serve until 11, you pay a membership fee and you get free beer. And exactly. Start selling that's exactly, exactly, exactly what it is. Yeah. It was a, you know, a football club. So that was – for, for my family coming here from, from Canada, they weren't uh, – they weren't super close with any any Canadians. They had their community as as typical with new Canadians, uh, and so that was where they all congregated. That's how they had their little slice of home was in this football club. But uh, yeah, so so this is something my parents would do on Fridays and Saturdays. And uh, a couple of days before my sixteenth birthday, I, uh, I took my dad's new minivan out for for a joyride, as it were, and uh, banged it up, Ooh. banged it up not too far from the house, and uh, you know got a lot of got a lot of trouble for that, uh, and really. Uh, it required some 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 repair and some work, and uh, my dad had got me a job working at a jig boring shop. And a jig boring shop is it's it's like it's real work. This is a, an industrial unit where there's dangerous chemicals or dangerous equipment, and a jig boring machine is what reduces blocks of metal down to components to make molds out of, or for precision. It's precision um, precision construction or precision manufacturing. Okay. And it's a huge machine. This thing is like you know, twenty feet, twenty feet by twenty feet by by twenty feet. Multi million dollar machine, uh, and it literally it just uh, it just scrapes metal off blocks and to make them into into tiny little objects. Uh, and so my job for every weekend for over a year was to crawl into this jig boring machine and okay. clean out. You had to crawl. Yeah, because that was I was at the time I was the only one small enough to be able to literally crawl inside of a machine and scrape out all the metal shavings oh, so God. that so that uh, it didn't impact any of its uh, its operations. And I did this for every weekend for just over a year to pay back the damage to fix the fix the repair the, the minivan. Um, yeah, and that was uh, that was my first job. It wasn't flipping burgers. It was metal shavings at a job that started at five thirty in the morning on Saturday and Sundays. Uh, give you a new appreciation for work? It did. It did. It did. Because it, it was. It was. It was. It was work. This was. You know. This wasn't. Uh, this was places where you punched in and you punched out and you had your fifteen minute break and it was. Uh, it was hard, dangerous work and people there were. Uh, they didn't suffer fools. Huh. What brought you to Seneca College? 
And what did you study there? So I studied uh, basically digital media, which is a combination of uh, 3D animation, motion graphics, web design, uh, and a few other things. Uh, the idea is I had worked I had worked at the Bank of Montreal uh, previous to this um, in the securities trading operations, and th- the idea is at the time the banks were digitizing their 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 securities assets. So securities in terms of financial uh, financial uh, products, not security in times of like guards and things like that. Are we talking about like buying stocks online? Treasury and bills, yeah, treasury bills, stocks, bonds, things like that. And the idea at the time was the uh, the banks were digitizing all this. So my, my job was to uh, was to literally bring money from one bank to the next. So I was insured for a hundred million dollars, and I would like, I would bring you know bearer bonds and bars of gold from BMO to Scotia Bank. Wait, you had like personal that. insurance of a hundred million dollars. The bank insured me for a hundred million dollars. Yeah, that was my job. Jeez. Oh, yeah. yeah. So so I did that, and the idea was it was to get my foot in the door to you know my parents to, to become an accountant, right? There's something like something along those lines, uh, and I realized that I didn't want a career at, in a financial institution. So uh, I really I really made the jump to get into something that was a little more a little more uh, productive, a little more creative, and something that was a little more future proof. At that time, you know, uh, getting into finance just wasn't somewhere that I wanted to be. You mentioned that your parents wanted you to be an accountant. It seems to be the thing with immigrant parents. My parents were born here, but they were. But they're first generation Canadians. But it seems like my father, all he ever thought of was like doctor, lawyer, accountants. Everyone needs them. You'll never be out of a job. Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, you know there's there's work. It's good work. And the idea was yeah, so to, to be an accountant or like electrical engineer or something like that. Those are those are the, the preferred options. But I always had an inclination towards technology, towards creation, towards marketing and advertising. It was always something that I really 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 enjoyed. So uh, after working at the bank, I uh, made the decision to uh, to move somewhere. Uh, where I could learn, I could learn, you know, digital media, not media in, t- in terms of buying and planning, but in terms of you know, content creation, and it was great. So I went to I went to Seneca, and I was the uh, it was the brand new campus that they had built at back of the, at, in the day. It was state of the art, and I was in the first cohort of of, uh, of students to to use this facility. And this was the facility that was built on the York campus. Yes, that's yeah. It. yeah, yeah. After you left Seneca, what was your first gig? So after Seneca, I did uh, I did a little bit of traveling. lived lived in the UK for a bit, and was working uh, as as a graphic designer. Um, and I came back to Canada, and I got a job working for this startup boutique called N49. It was a nondescript ad in the back of a page four of a Workopolis, uh, and it was just doing some, you know, some creative work for them. And uh, I got in there, and it was a. Uh, the, quite frankly, the plan was just to get enough money to get back to go go traveling again, go back to India and England. Uh, and I got in there, and it was just the most amazing environment. It was a startup in every sense of the word, and it was, it was an exciting place. But weren't tell us a little bit more about N forty nine. But overall, weren't a lot of the digital company startups at that point because there weren't any digital yeah. companies. It was like a clean sheet. Yeah, yeah. So this place, so N forty nine, owns the largest portfolio of top level domains on the planet. So. Renovations.ca, Kitchens.ca, Photographers.ca, thousands, thousands and thousands of these. What happens? Let me ask you that. What happens when you own Renovation.ca? Do you sell it? Do you lease it? Like, so how do the, you monetize that? So piece at the of real time, estate? the the president of the company, um, he had he had left uh, as as an executive at a medical imaging company and started up his business. And at this time, when you wanted to own a register a .ca domain, you actually had to incorporate. You couldn't just go to, you know, you couldn't just go to GoDaddy no, or yeah, anything. Yeah, there was no like such that. GoDaddy didn't exist at the time, right? You okay. had things like register fly and, and whatnot. Uh, and so you would buy this domain. So his idea was, you know, he's going to buy a bunch of these domains and we would do yellow pages online before yellow pages was doing online. 
And that's what we ran, a series of directories. So there was a, a home improvement directory called gopro.ca, and it had kitchens.ca, bathrooms.ca, renovations.ca, flooring.ca, et cetera. Uh, and then one for the the, this, the the wedding and event industry, so photographers.ca, videographers.ca, anything you could think of got the domain for it. And the idea is you set up these directories and you sell advertising uh, on this space to to uh, businesses and manufacturers that are related to, to the subject matter of the domain. And then from there, ancillary services to sell, you know, web solutions or, or, or whatever. But uh, it was great. This was, a, this was a, a, a long time ago before there was Google AdWords had just kind of started out. It was at that time, it was Yahoo Overture and it was, you know, read, manually uh, submitting links to DMOs and things like that. It was a it was a while ago, yeah. Was that a bit of a hard sell to some of those local businesses? I imagine you bumped yeah. into some people who thought, well, I don't think this internet's going to catch they on. Had, they had no idea what Google was. I had, I had people calling me up, you know, thinking that buying, uh, buying uh, advertising on, on our, our directory was the reason they were getting, you know, pop-up ads and viruses on their internet. Uh, you have to remember, at this time, this is the early knots, right? Nobody knew who Google was. Google, Google, Google was non-existent in everybody's mind. Google hadn't gone public, anything like that. And really, the the idea was uh, that we would go to people and we would say, you know, we can drive leads to your business, we can drive traffic to your site. And uh, it was it was definitely it was definitely hard sell, but it was a it was a good crucible to to uh, to learn how to you know become a marketing professional. Yeah, I'm curious about the mechanics of the sale because, like you said, it was what early to mid '90s, like. The early, the early not so the two thousands, early 2000s. early two thousands, very very early two thousands. Yeah, Wi Fi wasn't readily available back then. Yeah. You kind of flip open a laptop if you had one and be like, you didn't have a laptop, yeah. a desktop computer. So that was kind of like still a, kind of weird. It was like an analog pitch for a digital world. Yeah, it was a lot of phones. A lot of phones. A lot you were of phones. There? A lot of calling. A lot of phones. Uh, a lot of going door to door. Going to home shows. You know, when mm. people are at home shows, going to, while they're trying to sell something, you go in there and try to sell that. Uh, what was great about it was essentially that. Uh, you had carte blanche, the people who worked there. We had carte blanche as long as we, we kept things profitable to, to test and learn and, and, to, and to just, you know, to, to do new things. So uh, with the domains, because we had such a large portfolio of domains, because the work we were doing was so great, we had organic traffic. You know, this, this site was getting 250,000 unique Canadians a month. That's huge. 250,000, like consistently for, for at least five to six years. After that, though, you made your big splash into what we could say is – I don't want to say that uh, N49 wasn't the media industry, but technically your conventional media agency. You moved out to Cassette. What brought you there? Yeah. So so while I was working at this startup, when I was talking to – so we're going from very small businesses to getting into the larger, the larger places. Uh, I would keep – getting referred to talk to my media person, talk to my media person. And at the time, I, I didn't fully know what, I knew what advertising was. I didn't know what media was at the time. Uh, and so I signed up to uh, the Interactive uh, Advertising Bureau's uh, digital marketing course, which was run at the time by Paula Geniak, And it was a great course. I was in, the, I think, the first or second cohort of that entire class. Was this when she was still president of the IB? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the thing about it is that that was a six-month course at the time. They what? did it. Yeah, six months. I did it and it was only a day course. Yeah, six months. Six oh, months. Shit. It was uh, every every uh, every Tuesday and Thursday for six months at the Global Mail offices. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was great. And so so it, it, for, for me, I had I had this digital technical background, and I, I had um, I had the client service background, but I didn't have the media specific background. I took this course just randomly looking for you know searching for digital marketing courses in Toronto, and this popped up, uh, and I signed up, and it was great. And it was it was fantastic exposure. Like our, our second presenter at the class was Donna Henderson from. You know, her old agency and uh, uh it was just a great place yeah from there you moved on to mediacom what brought you there 
So when I got to MediaCom, I had I had actually I had interviewed with MediaCom initially after. So basically, I'll take a step back. Uh, after leaving N49 or wanting to leave N49, the desire was I wanted to be in the stereotypical agency with the exposed brick and the exposed beams and that kind of thing. Um, so I had, I had been applying for 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 jobs and trying to trying to get some of that. And I had had a. Uh, I posted up a, a thread on a message board, a local message board, and there was someone on there who, who had referred me to, to MediaCom. It was MBS at the time. It wasn't actually MediaCom. Back when it was media buying services. Media We're buying services or, or TMC, the media company. Retail media, we could keep dropping them. They yeah, had a yeah. number of different yeah, divisions. RMI, yeah, yeah. RMI. Dairy, worked on in Dairy Queen, yeah, yeah. So I ended up posting this thread on a message board that I frequented that was, you know, about the local culture and nightlife, and I got referred to this place. And I got in there. I didn't really know what it was, and I took the job at Cassette. Uh, and you know the job at cassette was a was a well, calling a, a teachable moment, and when that was over, um, I went. You know, I got a phone call again from from MediaCom saying, "Hey, you know, there, there's a job here if, if you'd like to come in." And so uh, I took a pay cut to take this job. You know, when I was working at this startup, I was doing quite you know quite exceptionally well. Um, took a pay cut because the idea is that you kind of take two steps, uh, one step back to go two steps forward, and that's what, what got me into to uh, to MBS at the time. It was they they had a uh, it was called an interactive group, uh, and it was the, it was just it was the the hottest group in, in in the industry in the city for this. And it was my expertise was I I, I had a, a extensive digital knowledge uh so i could go in there and then they would teach me you know the media and the business and all that stuff but i would go in with you know backgrounds and web analytics and production and technical knowledge and, and a lot of stuff and this is before programmatic and you know, facebook wasn't around at the time it was but it wasn't it wasn't you know uh, hadn't gained a critical mass at that time and it was a it was a great place yeah from there you moved over to click health Talk to us about Click Health, just because it's a really unique agency. It only operates in, say, the health services, pharmaceutical industry. You don't see that from other agencies. They're always trying to get a number of different clients mm-hmm. from different categories or verticals. But tell us about your time there. Click Health was fantastic. Uh, I had I had basically been poached uh, by Click Health from my former uh, my former managing director when I, from MediaCom, who is now at, at Click Health. Um, and so I went there and, and the idea at this point in my career was I had, I had spent, you know, quite a few years at, uh, at MediaCom and I wanted to check off a couple of other areas in terms of my, my career growth. And number one was a full service agency again, was, you know, a, not just a pure play media shop. The second was U S audiences. You know, that was a, that was, that's the, the kind of okay. the UK and the U S or the Mecca of media. And so the idea of being able to have an environment where you're dealing with U S clients and U S audiences. Um, and then in the pharma space, it was, it was, it was interesting and I wanted to get there. And so the idea is that a uh, click came along and I, 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 uh, I jumped, I jumped on it. It's a fantastic place. Yeah. Were you touching digital or did you have to touch everything around that? The thing about Click is Click Click is is miles above what anybody else in this city is doing. I think the exception of a few guys, possibly like, you know, Jackman or, or and a few others. Click really are they are completely changing the game in terms of what to expect from a communications agency and um what I found there wasn't, uh, you know, my my discipline at that time was media, but you were part of, you're part of everything. And, and what was unique about the pharma space that that I really just had no idea about. I think most people, until you get in this space, had no idea about is that it's a parallel industry. 
Right? They have their own suppliers. They have their own awards. They have their own uh, their own agencies. They have they have uh, their own publications. It's it's it runs in parallel. It's the exact same job, the exact same type of role, but it's within an industry that unless you're in that industry, you really don't know that it exists. Uh, and it was it was a great experience getting in there because the idea is that you know you, you can't just buy regular advertising. There's there's all sorts of there's all sorts of um, caveats around it. I imagine there are a number of regulations. You probably had to get you probably dealt with more lawyers at Click than you had at any other agency you'd worked at. Well, I didn't personally have to deal with them. Thank God they had uh, they had <laughs> they had. Uh, they have, you know, their their health editors and stuff. There, they have what's called MRL, Med Reg, Med Reg Legal, uh, and your communications all have to adhere to this. There's things are is is your indication black box? Is it FDA approved? Is there nuances with the FDA? Um, you know, you can target to consumers with health, but you're also talk, uh, targeting the healthcare practitioners. Uh, but when you're targeting the consumers, you know, there's there's very restrict, very restrictive. Um, Regulations, so the way to kind of get around that is unbranded, unbranded uh, communication. So you know, if you have you know stomach problems, instead of giving a specific, a specific brand, you know, do you have stomach problems? Check out stomachproblems.com or you know, making that. Gotcha. They they draw you in that way because if they do go the route of the specific prescription drug, I mean, I only really see these in the United States, but it's like. You've got the funky creative developed by the creative team, and then like the last ten seconds are all about listing all the side effects. And please contact your doctor. Yeah, yeah. Even the banner ads. The banner ads had to have specific regulations where they could where they could run the uh, the warnings at the bottom the bottom of the ads. And it was a it was a lot of regulations and a lot of stipulation. But it, it was a it was a, just a fantastic environment. Those guys are doing things that uh, that nobody else is doing. The uh, the president of that place, Lee Siegel, he uh, he's a real deal. You know, it's uh, it's it's I've never seen anything like it. Uh, outside of, of being at a click, yeah. And from the healthcare industry, you then moved to fast food, kind of like one end of the spectrum to yeah, the next yeah, at OMD. Yeah. Tell us about your time at OMD and working on McDonald's. Yeah, so uh, so I got the call to see if I was interested in McDonald's, and the kind of quote about that is, you know, when the Yankees call, you, you take the call. All right now, I'm a, I'm personally a big big fan of McDonald's. I've lived on McDonald's my whole life. Uh, so when the opportunity came up, uh, yeah, I, I reached out and, and uh, they reached out to me. Uh, we we interviewed for a bit and then I, I jumped all over it. Yeah. What did you learn at Click that you could apply at McDonald's or, or at OMD with McDonald's? And is there anything at by the time you got to that point in your career, is there anything new that you learned while working on McDonald's that you you hadn't previously picked up at other jobs or other working on other clients? So number one, what I picked up from Click was uh, was their project management and their their accountability. They have they have this thing there called Genome, which is uh, a ticketing management system, and they they really they they're a um, they're a company that is data focused or data centric, and all of the decisions that they make from day to day decisions to 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 uh, client profitability are all based on ambient data that they collect. And it's a book called the Decoded Book. Um, and I tried to apply as much of that as possible when I got to got to OMD is, is data driven decision making on on you know uh, what I thought was was best for the particular project at hand. Um, now. What I learned about working on McDonald's and OMD was McDonald's was, you know, they are the Yankees. They are a huge global company with a huge global infrastructure. Uh, so getting to be a part of that, being to be part of a global network was, was very, very educational. Getting to learn the operations side of the business, getting to learn, you know, behind the scenes, you know, being, being to, to the McDonald's restaurants themselves, being behind the scenes in the kitchens. 
and it's uh it's it works well. You actually really, got really to spend well. a couple of days working in the kitchen in the background. <laughs> I, I was in the kitchen. I, I got offered to work in the kitchen, but you know, I, I, I didn't at the time. But uh, no, being being in the kitchens and being in the restaurants and is a is a great experience. They're 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 uh, they're very smart, very smart people. When you're working for a global client like that and you're representing Canada, do you have a lot of room to move around, or are they pretty rigid? Like a lot of direction comes from the top, and you just kind of localize it. Now, Canada has a great reputation within their within their network. You have there there are brand guidelines and there are guardrails that you have to work within, but for the most part, there is uh, when when it's possible and ter- specifically when, when things like the experience and engagement aspects, so the 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 in, the in restaurant experience or the consumer engagement through you know, the apps and whatnot, uh, there is there is relative autonomy. The idea is that you know they they share good ideas from where whichever network they happen to be in, and you try to implement those when when possible. Yeah. Canada, were they ever a pilot project for a product or anything else that yeah. ended up going global? Like any story there? So not so much for a pilot product because the products are, are uh, you know, you, you can have products that are localized to a region like the McLobster, for example. They've got on the East Coast, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they have those type of things all over the world. Uh, what uh, Canada's strength was was, was uh, their digital sophistication. Right. There's okay. a there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of work that came out from that. You know, and specifically some of the things they're doing on social, like the the Friday uh, Periscope Live activities. Uh, th- those were those were kind of uh, first to market with with uh, a lot of the work that we're doing. So here you are working on one of the biggest global brands at one of the biggest agencies. Some would say that you're probably at the peak of your career. It's only up from there. I wouldn't say the peak, but it's only upwards from there. But you decide to walk away from it and start the social producers. How long was that idea marinating with you? Uh, so the name, the social producers, was relatively new, but the idea of being in business for self what was, was around for quite some time. My wife and I had uh, had an interest for being, you know, self-employed at, at some point. Uh, we had we you know we looked in the franchise area. We looked into you know Freshie and A and W and stuff like that, into into possibly buying a franchise and, and doing that. So you're ready to roll up your sleeves and actually get into the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. What if I had to start there? As yeah. a franchise owner, most of them do that at the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. For like the the onboarding for a lot of those places that yeah, you have, for, for you, you can you see within the network. At least that's what I gained from the knowledge at McDonald's was that uh, the people who work in in the actual the, who, the owners who manage their business they they manage their business and and there's a big difference between the, the you know the ones that are that are run by a person versus the ones that are run by the corporation. Um, yeah, so that's that's what we want to do. It's it's uh, you know working at that startup years previously had exposed me to. Um, exposed me to to the, the an environment where you know where you're your own boss and you're making your own making your own path as it were. That's the uh, plus side about sales because if you ever want to test the waters of entrepreneurship, that's kind of the safest way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Like I would say, it's uh, you know my wife and I we, we talked about it and I was like, if you want to do this, okay, well then you got to go talk to a hundred people. And she she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, you you got to just go talk to a hundred people. Go talk to a hundred people. Talk to them about yourself. Talk to them randomly. And if you can get through a hundred of those, and you still want to do it, then you can, you know, you're you're kind of prepped to have your own business because you're gonna, you know, to make it successful, you have to be willing to to kind of get out there and roll up your sleeves and and put yourself out there. Do you remember the actual moment when you 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 and your wife decided, okay, I'm leaving OMD and we're doing this? Uh, it was for me. It was for me. I was I was uh, I was in a meeting for a data management solutions project. It's a mouthful. A data solutions project, as it were. Uh, and there were some very senior people in the room who were were talking about this data project, and they thought that the SQL in MySQL literally referred to the cartoon squirrel in the peanut butter jar. And, oh God! Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, no fault of their own, but that for me was 
that for me was the kind of the canary in the coal mine because my feeling is is that a media is a pure play agency. Uh, you know, you stay there too long, you can atrophy, right? And, and the idea for me is that is that I don't want to be in that position, especially with the consulting companies that are coming out with with how the the, the world is changing, and, and particularly with how how data centric things are becoming. Um, you, you know, being a buyer is not going to future proof future proof your life, uh, and, and that for me was. I mean, there have been decisions up until then, but that for me was the final the final kind of step. Yeah, I respect the data. Uh, aspect of it a lot but i'm, I'm kind of with you it seems like that sort of creative sexy element that really attracted a lot of people from our yeah. generation into it is i don't want to say it's going away but it's definitely taking a back seat social producers you guys have been in business for the last eight months at time of recording would you say yeah something like that yeah. how have the first eight months been do you have uh, anything you can share with us some of the stuff that you're proud of yeah yeah so it's been great so we've gone from a concept to customers in less than a year and it was a Followed the the typical startup mode, you know, in, in a in a desk in the garage, and eventually to a co working space at the East Room, um, just over in in, uh, in Riverdale, uh, and then to into our, our facilities now, and it's uh it's been great. So so the idea is that the the position that we take in the market is that we adhere or we we serve two two sets of customers is we serve small businesses and, and and brands and we also serve consumers and this is an area where it became apparent to me that there was a need for this where there are uh, there are consumers who would love to have um, content produced for them in a professional capacity that either they don't have the tire uh, the time they don't have the the, the know-how or they don't have the desire to do it themselves or even the budget or even the budget yeah yeah and so the 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 the, the field has changed so much now that the technology where you can do great work um, is now accessible i mean we have we have a, a lot of gear a lot of money spent on the gear but um where we're at now is that we have uh, things like you know job seekers who want video video resumes, right? We have services that offer that. We have influencers, you know, people coming up who want to be, uh, you know, fitness influencers. Uh, they they have the knowledge, they have the the personality. What they don't have is the ability to turn on the camera or edit. So we're offering these influencer startup packages, uh, and we're finding we're finding great results. And then on top of that, you throw um, on the business side, you have local businesses and small businesses who are looking for um, social, either media management, content curation, or, or actual like production of, of, of creative, uh, visual creative. I should let's say that we're not not looking to build banner ads or, or uh, I write text uh, text for for adwords or anything like that. Uh, there's a market. There's a market now, and it's uh, it's 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 been a great great run so far. Yeah. Stuart, if anyone listening to this wants to get a hold of you. How could they do that? Yeah, so you can you can reach me at uh, Stu, S-T-E-W, at socialproducers.com or check us out at www.socialproducers.com. What does your day look like now that you are an entrepreneur and you're your own boss? Uh, or it's, a typical day? It's, there is a thing. There's not really a typical day. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's different. It's different every day. Uh, you know, some days it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, standard. I'm in here at 8, leave at 6, you know, working on the computer. Other days we're off-site, you know, uh, in, in the middle of a shoot. Um, what I like, what I like a lot, uh, qu- quite a bit about this, and this is something that I think that the communications industry in, at large is going to have to grapple with, is the autonomy. I have two small children, you know, and uh, the ability on Tuesday to walk my, my daughter to, to school for her first day uh, was a big deal. You know, and, and the idea is that I could do that, and then I could, I could, I could come back into the office, or I'm going out and doing things, and having the autonomy to to manage my time um, as as I need to. Um, is the single biggest thing that that's working out for me. And so, but you know, what a kind of day to day looks like, it's a combination of, uh, drumming up new business, managing the business, you know, uh, dealing with operations, 
networking, um, you know, and sometimes just, you know, taking it easy a little bit and uh, getting time to, to reflect. If you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would you say? Oh, start earlier. Started early, yeah. It's 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 uh, it was nerve wracking because you know you're 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 with children, small children, and mortgages. You're kind of jumping out into the unknown and spending you know spending large capital expenditures. Uh, but it's 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 been rewarding, and I would I would have told myself you know yeah do it earlier. If uh, if you're not scared, then you're you're not growing. So do it, Stuart. My signature closing question: If you weren't media, what do you think you'd be doing, and why? Oh, would be a concept artist. That's uh, that's if I was independently wealthy and I never had to worry about money ever again. The idea of of doing the concept art for 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 movies uh, or or oh, TV like the shows. storyboards or yeah, the, yeah, or the costumes. A lot yeah, of yeah. So there. well, that's the art direction, but the concept art is is you know uh, doing the, the 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 idea of the imagery of the background, building the concepts of the characters or character design. It's uh, that's where my background is. I you know I'm a classically trained illustrator. I have you know I've I've spent m- most of my you know. You hear these LinkedIn comments about you know how do you manage your 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 seven p.m. to your one a.m. type of thing. You know, Jack Ma and these guys all talk about what you're doing in the evenings. That's what I do in my free time. As I draw, I draw and I paint and illustrate. And uh, the idea is that I would love to be you know a concept artist. But then the idea of doing that as 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 a profession kind of might ruin the appeal for it. And really, there's a handful of them, and they're in Hollywood. And you know, I uh, I like living in Canada. That's the thing with being an artist. It's kind of like being an athlete. You're either at one end of the pay scale or yeah. you're below the poverty line. Yeah, there's nothing glamorous about poverty. I'm, I'm not interested in being a starving artist. I, I, like, I, like, I like being in business. I like business. I like, I like marketing. And so the idea is I can manage all this stuff and I can satisfy that aspect on my own. It all works out. Stuart, this has been fantastic. Thanks for your time. Great. Thanks a lot, Vic. That's it for today's show. But for more episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash media people podcast or subscribe on iTunes by searching media people podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Vic Genova.